around the world and on satellite. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Had a little technical difficulty there <laughs> when we started, uh, but I think everything is working right now. Uh, we were going to talk about a number of things uh, this morning. Uh, I was going to go over the uh, Beatitudes, but I think we'll shift gears a little bit. I send out some... Uh, news items uh in the last couple of days uh i spoke with a major seed buyer who uh deals in uh vast tonnage of seeds that they ship all over the world and uh that uh, we are uh dependent upon for our sustenance. Most people think you get food from the grocery store, but the reality is you get food from the seed and from livestock that are produced by farmers and in agriculture all over the world. It used to be the United States uh, produced enough grain to feed almost the whole world. We exported huge amounts of grain all uh, over uh, many of the uh, famines that we saw back in the 40s and 50s in places like India uh, were not actually famines. Uh, They did have enough uh, food to feed all their people, but because of distribution, poverty, uh, greed, uh, they often ran short. Same thing was true during some of the recent famines in Africa. There were shortages, yes but there was actually enough food in the country to feed the people, uh, but distribution was controlled. That power of controlling the distribution of grain and uh, food uh, is uh, been an instrument of totalitarianism. Uh, from the beginning. During uh, Stalin's rise to power, his dependence on the export of grain to provide him with the economic uh, uh, efforts of uh, uh, building his nation up to an industrial power uh, caused him to actually go in and force the people who were the major grain growers uh, in the Soviet Union complex of countries uh, to not only turn over all their grain to the government so that they could sell it for export, but actually turn over their seed crops to provide him with the capital he needed to grow his industrial complex and giant empire. This led to massive starvation where people's bodies ended up being piled up like cordwood 
because people were just dying. They just did not have food. They did, they could not produce enough food to even sustain themselves in some of the richest agricultural uh, ground in the Soviet Union. Uh, this is what uh, greed, selfishness leads to. And this is the big danger that we have in America today and in the world today is that we have grown a nation and nations of selfish, covetous uh, people who want what they want when they want it and they really don't care who is injured or hurt or destroyed in the process uh, they uh, make choices in their life that leads them down a road from which there often is no practical return and this is where we are in America today uh, uh, what I was pointing out in a newsletter that we sent out to the through the network uh, which I send out to the contact ministers on the network, and then they, if they so choose, pass it on to others. They can rephrase it, they can rewrite it, and then they pass it on uh, in whatever form they choose so that the information is dispersed throughout the network. And the reason we have set this up in an email uh, method like that is because that's the way it operated in the early church, is that messages were sent to... Uh, ministers and ministers pass them on to the people. This created a network of uh, living connections where you learned who you could trust and who you couldn't trust, who you could depend on and who you couldn't depend on. And this is what we need to learn because we're going to need to go back to those precepts and uh, presentations and uh, procedures of the early church because things will break down just as they did in the Roman Empire. And so I sent that out, and what it was is, uh, you've heard me mention on the radio before that there's about six months' supply of grain in the pipeline in the United States at any given time. And that means that uh, before uh, six, if you didn't have any more grain being harvested, anywhere or brought into this country in six months we would be out and we know of course in Egypt that uh, this is what brought the people into bondage in Egypt is the fact that there was a shortage of grain there was a huge famine and uh, people had to go to Egypt to buy their grain and that's what led to that uh, Bondage that everybody in Egypt went under, not just uh, the Israelites, but all the people of Egypt went under because the Pharaoh had the good sense and the wherewithal to stock up grain for seven years because there was a plenteous crop. They were good crops. And for seven years, they, they made granaries and they stored the grain. And there's quite an art to storing grain. You have to fumigate it. You have to get the weevils out of it, the grasshoppers, and and all the other uh, debris. Oh. And and you have to put it in silos where rats and mice can't get at it. Uh, in Stalin's Russia during the war, uh, there was you knew that the granaries ran out of grain, and there wasn't going to be any grain for bread because the rats poured out into the city streets looking for something else to eat, and people actually feasted on the rats at that time. It was the only meat and food around. Uh, people were literally starving, and America is going to go on a serious diet one of these days when such similar events happen to us, and history does repeat itself. But uh, this this idea of grain in the pipeline... When I was a young man, many, 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 many years ago, I worked on wheat farms in North Dakota, and there were huge silos there on some of the farms, and, and fairly small or medium-sized silos on many farms, and many of those silos. So 
some of the silos on uh, the one farm I worked on were still made out of wood. They were made back in the 30s uh, uh, after the Depression or during the Depression where uh, they built these silos to uh, house the grain. Now they had uh, most of them were these metal uh, granaries, uh, very solid sealed uh, granaries, or as sealed as well as you could from mice and rodents and what have you. And you could actually go down into these silos and sit on the grain, and it was just tons and tons of grain, and every farm had these silos. And we should have been building those silos more and more because back in those days, what did we have? 90 million, 120 million people, 200 million people. We have 360 million or more people in America today. Uh, that would mean that if you double the size of the, the, uh, the population of the people, you should double the size of the number of granaries. Well, the reality is that we haven't done that. And there was a policy change back in uh, Nixon's administration, cultural policy, that changed the way in which the government related to the farmers. Now, there was a good to that and there was a bad to that. Now, the bad to that uh, was that we no longer have those surpluses. We had six or seven years supply of grain on the farms and in uh, silos and in warehouses at any given time. So if you had a failure of a crop throughout the United States, or a major failure through parts of the United States in the grain belt, you would still have plenty of grain in the country. And the way they did that was they loaned, the, the government bought the grain at the going rate from the farmers by buying it with a low interest loan. So the farmer would receive X amount of dollars, a minimum X amount of dollars for his grain. And he wouldn't put it on the market. He didn't have to sell it because he borrowed money against it from the government on a contract where he could buy it back at this low interest rate uh, if the, he, his crops failed next year. So he sold this year's crop, maybe for $3 or $4 a bushel, and uh, he sold it to the government for, you know, 3 or $4. And he had money and capital to plant next year and buy the fuel and get through the year because he sold that grain to the government. Now, if he didn't want to sell it to the government, he could put it on the market. But if everybody put all their grain on the market at the same time, it would flood the market and the price would drop to $2 a bushel or $1.50 a bushel and he would not have enough capital to get them to to the next year. So this way he had a way of guaranteeing to sell the product at a reasonable amount, but he could buy it back. So he had to store it in these bins, lock the bins up, and uh, there'd be a seal on it that uh, it and this literally belonged as collateral to a loan from the government. Now that's not a, that's kind of socialism, uh, to say the least. But you could do the same thing through grain co-ops and uh, cooperatives and through local communities where everybody in the local community would buy a share of the grain as an investment, a low-interest loan, to the local farmers and would keep their local farmers in business and they would stockpile this grain. It would just be good common sense because if you don't and everybody put the grain on the market during a bulk or, you know, a bumper crop, um, it would kill the price of grain. Farmers would go out of business. So this way, everybody shares in. It should be done voluntarily. Churches should be organizing this, uh, and I'll get to what some churches have been doing uh, in the second part of the show. But just to give you an idea how this all works, that was a good way to guarantee that there was a surplus in America of grain for bread, for cereals, for food, pasta, whatever, at any given time. Because there was this huge surplus stored all over the country, not centralized, stored all over the country, and say there was a failure of crops and uh, hail, uh, drought, uh, too wet a spring, uh, too dry a spring, 
all the different things that can happen. Now, it doesn't happen everywhere in America. It'll happen in this part, and you'll lose a crop in Kansas and get a crop in Texas. And so it, it works out if enough people are growing grain that even though you have a crop failure here and there, you have other places to do all right. I've actually seen hail lines go across the plains where it just devastated everything that was underneath that hailstorm to the point that it looked like a swath line going right through the uh, edge of the field where it clipped off about uh, 10 acres of a 160-acre field uh, that went through with the hail. It just was flat uh, because that's where the storm went. Uh, People on the other side of the field, they were absolutely devastated, but the fields that I was working in, we only lost about 10 acres. That's that's the way people can keep each other afloat because they can absorb the, the damage that comes about. This is what the early church was doing. It was gathering together so if there was a bad event here or persecution there, um, famine here, that they could absorb that loss and help one another out and get them through hard times. So just as I was saying, in India, they were actually exporting rice while we were giving them free rice as foreign aid. They were actually selling their own rice abroad. They had enough rice in the country to feed their people, but the people who controlled the grain wanted to sell it abroad because they would get more money. The Soviet Union had plenty of grain being produced uh, in their whole country, but the leader wanted to sell that grain abroad to the point of starving his own people so that he would have enough money to build his industrial complex because his industrial complex became a war industrial complex which became uh, an institution of his own power and he ends up killing 20, 30 million people. I mean, supposedly we were stopping the Germans because they were killing millions of people but our allies were killing even more. (laughs) uh, The United States allies, anyway, were killing even more um, people uh, than that. Uh, It's amazing the atrocities that took place on the Allied side of that war, and, of course, you won't hear much about that. I mean, I think the American people generally were one of the most moral groups uh, that came to World War II. And uh, it was the moral character off those farms in the Midwest and many other parts of uh, the country that uh, provided these young uh, moral uh, men of val- with values and, and character that were key to the success of that war. It wasn't our generals at all. Uh, Normandy was a fiasco, and it wasn't the generals that saved us but it was the individuals on the beach that just said we've got to go and uh, change things ourselves because we're all dying here on the beach and it was that individual initiative that pulled us out and we've talked about that before but now in this agricultural thing instead of the granges and, and people coming together and creating that surplus people focused on what was available now and from a six-year to seven-year bumper surplus that we had in storage we went down to a six-month surplus and that was about all we had in the pipeline at any given time but we had crops coming in at many different times i mean they're already harvesting crops in the southern area and and before the end of the summer in the fall they'll be harvesting wheat crops in north dakota and the custom combiners move up from Texas to the Dakotas harvesting these grains. There are actually grain crops that are will be harvested because they'll be under pivots as rotation crops. So there's lots of different sources, but today we buy a great deal of grain from abroad. And this is what I, when talking to the seed buyer uh, who travels all over the world, looks at weather, looks at... Uh, 
what crops are being produced and how things are working, there have been numerous crop failures in the southern hemisphere. Uh, there has been, uh, in the post I sent out, I actually said western. I, don't, I meant to type southern and I typed western. But uh, in the southern hemisphere, but over in Europe, there have been crop failures in the area of Poland and and uh, Italy, but not for the same reason. Some reasons were lack of rain. Uh, other reasons were too much rain. And that's what's interesting is that you can actually have in a place like Poland, you could have some crops failing from lack of rain and other crops doing very well because they got plenty of rain because that's the way it works. Clouds come through, you get rain, your neighbor didn't. But overall, they may be able to produce anyway. Sometimes what's bad weather for one crop is good weather for another, and you get another kind of bumper crop. But grain has always been a key element. Uh, the destruction of the Roman Republic was due to the control of the price of grain and the dependence of Rome on foreign imports of grain, which came from Egypt. At that particular time, a great deal of their grain came from Egypt. A lot of the grain they used to grow in Italy had been, and around Rome had been turned into other types of agriculture, uh, perishable agriculture. And uh, uh, some had been just turned into villas for the rich and elite. Uh, but we were doing the same thing in America. A great deal of farmland has been plowed up. Other lands have been turned into uh, other kinds of commodities. Uh, we could still grow enough food in this country to feed the world, but we've changed our agricultural practices because of governmental policies that have channeled the way in which we operate and function in this world. Uh, I, I'm going to take this a little bit further with this idea of uh, grain harvesting, but basically there's about 30 days worth of grain in the pipeline at any given time now. So the six-month figure, we can throw that away. That doesn't exist anymore. We also have thrown away many years ago the six-year figure, which was advised by Joseph uh, when he saw a famine coming. And now we're depending on a, on a 30-day window of grain production for the whole world. Uh, China reported in April that uh, there were shortages and immediately the uh, Chicago uh, grain prices went up because of what's going on in China. You can read articles on the net how vulnerable China's agricultural system is and a great deal of that is vul vulnerability is due to the fact that many of the people have moved from the rural environment to the city environment uh, consolidation of land holdings, which we've seen in South America, uh, which is what's led to the destruction of the rainforest, which was governmental policies changing the way in which they tax, taxed agriculture, caused people to sell out their property and move to the cities with promise of great paying jobs, etc., etc., in factories. And really what it was was a gigantic land grab. We've seen it. Uh, going on in the United States and we've seen it going on here in Oregon with the control of water. They shut down irrigation water supposedly to save some fish and environmentalists think, oh great we're going to save these little chub fish and reality what it was was a land grab and those who greedy for gain uh, used the environmentalists to shut down that water so that they could buy those farms at low uh, prices and then now they control the water and it comes back on suddenly after they own the land. This is all graft and corruption. It goes on all the time. But let's talk in the second half about solutions.
You're listening to FirstAmendmentRadio.com worldwide. Freedom is never free. We need your support today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Gold and silver is tremendously undervalued. Global demand vastly exceeds mine supply by more than 60% annually. There is little in the financial world more certain than a coming explosion in the prices of gold and silver. The U.S. dollar continues to lose value and respect as the world's reserve currency. Our nation faces challenges on many fronts, and a day doesn't pass without another economist bringing forth warnings of impending economic calamity. There has never been a better time than right now to acquire physical gold and silver. Discount Gold and Silver Trading was founded on the principles of truth and honesty. We believe in providing a quality product, quality service, and most importantly, competitive pricing. We provide all forms of precious metals, including American gold, silver, platinum, and rare investment and circulated coins. Silver bars, rounds, and 90% silver bags are on hand for the silver investor. Gold self-directed IRAs are available. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, that's 1-800-375-4188. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or... War of Federal Aggression. John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free, or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. Get this DVD presentation for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Call 559-781-3773. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I save my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide from my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of use. And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. Back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, well, hopefully we've gotten some of the other technicalities at the beginning of the show straightened out. But we were talking about uh, grain and the supply of grain. We've seen that the Israelites went into bondage because there was a lack of grain. They would have had plenty of grain had they not thrown their own brother into bondage and sold him off as a slave in Egypt because he would have had the divine insight to tell them, hey, you know, a famine is coming and we need to stock up on grain. And everybody in the world would have been going to them saying, hey, uh, the Israelites have stocked up on grain. We'll have to go over to them and buy our grain because the crops are failing in Egypt. But they had sold their brother, and so they were ill-prepared. And so they are the ones who went into bondage uh, in Egypt. Now, the pharaoh at that time was fairly benevolent. He sold them the grain, but not completely benevolent. He didn't freely give it away. They had to sell their own labor and become um, subject citizens of Egypt, which actually means bondage. And they went into this bondage where they had to give one-fifth of everything they earned in a given year to the government, and the government provided them with some sort of social welfare. But as corruption 
uh, kept uh, coming into such governments because they are governments of power and men who seek power seek office and so the next thing you know everybody wants to be pharaoh and control it and there's a big long history there but the point is is that the choices you make draw you in a particular direction draw you in a particular way and they make you subject to the events that come about history repeats itself rome's decline and fall of the republic was a direct result of the control of the price of grain and the flow of grain and the dependence upon foreign grain today in america because of governmental changes and the apathy of the people see now those changes wrought by nixon uh back in his agricultural policy uh forming days could have been uh navigated around and made us a stronger people because we could have set up our own local institutions uh, that are based more on kingdom principles that would have provided that we not only have our uh, five, six, seven years supply of extra grain, but we would maintain the agricultural community in a healthy way and we would gain from it. But because we made lots of choices, Federal Reserve existence, uh, which was an abandoning of capitalism uh, for deadism, we haven't had capitalism in this country since the Federal Reserve because that's not real capital. They really loan debt into circulation, not actual capital. Capital is substance. There is no substance being loaned into circulation. Rome went the same way. Uh, Roman uh, gold coins that you saw with the emperor's picture on were loaned into circulation by the Roman government. Uh, that's why they had their picture on it, because it was supposed to go back to Augustus. Um, later on, when they took all the silver out of the Roman silver coin, it was no longer loaned into circulation. There was iron coin being loaned into circulation, and the price of bread went up uh, tens of thousands of percent, from six denarii to 120,000 denarii for the same sack of wheat. When I was a kid, bread was 10 cents a loaf. Uh, shows you how old I am. But uh, today, uh, bread has gone up, you know, uh, hundreds, a thousand percent. Um, it, and the bread is not as good a quality <laughs> often as it was back in those days. So the point is, is there's this huge decrease in this surplus that we have. We still have enough. There's still grain constantly flowing into this country and being produced in this country. And as long as we don't have a real shortage, the price won't go up much, although we've seen a jump in the price of grain in the last uh, few years. Uh, you used to be able to buy a sack of grain for about 5 6 oh. A sack of grain may cost you $15 or more. And um, that's, that's going to probably change with the, the rise of inflation and hyperinflation, which is very likely to happen because of government policy governments create these policies and you become subject to them because you keep looking to the government to solve the problem the reality is the early christians did not line up for the free bread and circuses offered by rome they had another system that they depended upon and that system allowed them to absorb the changes that took place if there were crop failures. Now, to give you an idea of the possibility of crop failures, we've had crop failures in the Southern Hemisphere. We've had crop failures in parts of Europe. We are likely to have weather modification and changes uh, wrought by all sorts of events. Probably the most significant is the events on the sun. We've just gone through solar minimum, caused thermosphere to collapse, uh, which has not, not been seen before during our period of time of observing that in um, the space uh, age of modern science. But we know that during solar minimums that that area of the atmosphere does decrease. They've never seen it quite go this low, but we've had one of our lowest 
uh, solar minimums. Now we're moving into solar max between now and 2012, and those storms on the sun, that one of which now is presently visible uh, even without a telescope, although don't look at it, you need to have a filter, those affect the weather on the planet. That's fine if you're just worried about whether you're going to go to the beach or not. But if you're in agriculture, changes in the weather can devastate your crops. Too many of these devastations to crops is not only bad for the farmers who get hit hard, but it's bad for the people in the stores who have to go and buy the food. If we have to buy the grain from abroad, the U.S. dollar isn't to decrease. The only thing that's bolstering the U.S. dollar right now on the foreign markets is the fact that uh, everybody else's dollar is in trouble and uh, everybody else's money system is in trouble. So they're all equally squeezed. But you get a 10% actual shortage where there isn't 30 days out, but maybe 10 days out or five days out, then suddenly, that was one of the things that the seed buyer was amazed at. He says, even in the reality of the shortage, prices are not skyrocketing. And the reality is is that that's because everybody's plugged into whatever the TV says until the T tells you that (laughs) there's a shortage or there's a danger, nobody's gonna act. Once it starts catching on to the general population, you're going to see things disappearing off the shelves. Most stores don't carry sacks of grain anymore. Um, and to find a source for this grain is uh, not always that easy. We happen to have made connections now that we will have good quality, hard white wheat available at the retreat that's coming up in September. You have to get your order in now. Uh, we're not making a dime on this. The supplier who is actually providing us with this grain is not uh, making anything on this. He's covering his costs, and that is it. And I know that's true because we've been looking into purchasing grain for some time, and this is the best deal that's come along in a long time. If we had enough orders, we could actually buy an entire semi-load and have it brought directly here and redistributed at the retreat. I'm not sure how many people are coming to the retreat. <laughs> if you're thinking about coming, get on the network and start coordinating with us so that we can start preparing for the amount that are coming. I just heard the another group of eight evidently may be coming from the Midwest. Uh, we, we've we had talk of people coming from all the way from New York. Uh, those plans are constantly changing and shifting because of events beyond the control of everybody. Uh, we've got people coming all the way from Australia. Are we going to have 50 people here or 500 or 5,000? Well, I don't think we're ready for the 5,000 yet, but we could have several hundred people coming, maybe more. But let us know so we can make preparations. We didn't have that many people last year because it was a last-minute event, uh, and we were able to absorb those that came that we weren't expecting. But uh, there's a limit to what we can accomplish in a short period of time, so let us know if you're coming. Uh, We'd like to make this a big event. We need to meet with people from other parts of the country. That's very important so that we know who these are. I've gone around and met some of these people. We've had some people here go and meet in the Midwest, and I meet this guy, and then he meets that guy, and then we start learning what we can, who we can trust and who we can't trust and who has a good opinion. There's some people who, you know, if you go to watch a movie, you ask somebody, uh, was it any good? And they'll tell you yes or no. Well, certain people I know, if they tell me that's a good movie, it probably stinks. <laughs> Experience has taught me this. So it's the same way in the kingdom. We learn who we can rely on, who says, I will do that. You know it's going to get done, like the Roman centurion said. If I say, go do this, I know. I don't have to go check. I know it will get done. And then we have the other guy that, you know, says, I will do this. And you know it isn't going to get done. (laughs) 
And pretty much that's telling you who is kingdom material and who's not kingdom material because in the kingdom, your word is your bond. You don't have to swear an oath. If you just say, I'm going to do this, you know it's going to get done because that guy's a man of his word. The guy who's not a man of his word, he's not really kingdom material. You can't count on it. So anyway, that's what we need to do. Now, simply stocking up grain, not a bad idea. Stocking up rice, not a bad idea. How do you do it? First time I stocked up grain that we grew ourselves and thrashed out ourselves out here decades and decades ago, and I just put it up because that's what we produced. Uh, and we didn't get back to it. You know, we were we had grain, and it wasn't. We didn't have a good seed cleaner, so it wasn't that clean. But I looked at the containers uh, a year or so later, and they were just eaten up by weevils because we didn't understand how to store these things. These are lessons that we have to learn, but some of these lessons, if you don't learn them in time, you die. <laughs> you know, uh, Like uh, uh, I told one of my sons once when he ran uh, a car off a dirt road and kind of high-centered it out in the brush. I mean, he must have been airborne there for a short period of time. And uh, I never said a didn't throw a fit or anything. We pumped up the tires and dragged it out and started bending fenders back where they should be. And uh, I said, you know, we all make mistakes. I says, and we survived many of them. <laughs> that one, he survived. Uh, the reality is, is we don't survive all of them. And so you need to think about what you need to be doing. And one of the things you need to be doing is not stocking up for yourself, not thinking about saving yourself. That's not Christ-like. That's not kingdom-like. You need to be thinking about the bigger picture of how to protect yourselves, how to protect your family, how to protect your neighbor from the devastation that is coming. You need to start working together in a real viable network. Many of the people who join our network some of them will fall away. Uh, we've created it in such a way that it requires your individual initiative. If you're not a man of initiative, there's no point in even joining the network. We're not, we're not a welfare state. You've got a welfare state out there. You can go join that. But if you're interested in kingdom thinking, kingdom living, then you're interested in other people besides yourself. That means you have to reach in and pull out of the uh, your own hearts and minds that character of Christ that actually cares about others as much or more than he cares about himself that is Christ consciousness that is the thinking of Christ that is the name of Christ is to think about others more than yourself so that means gathering together now I would recommend that everybody move out of the cities and go into the country and learn all the things that you need to learn which is what we did 30 years ago. We did it because we didn't want to raise our children in the cities. We didn't, weren't expecting impending doom necessarily or anything, but it was something that drew us to that when we learned to spin uh, yarn and, and thread. And, and we, we did that because we had an interest in it. When we learned to grow gardens, we had a fascination with it. Uh, now those may become very critical skills, but... You don't have the time to do what we've done over the last 30, 40 years. You, you, but you need to start somewhere. You may not. I saw on a uh, some publication where uh, a forecaster was saying, you know, buy a place in the country, da uh, da da da, you know, and as well as keeping your job in the city. Well, that's great if you can afford that. A lot of people just lost their jobs. How are they going to do that? The fact is, is that's not kingdom thinking. That's individual survivalism thinking. You need to start thinking kingdom. The fact is, is that a small congregation can buy land in the country and man that land with people that they know. Uh, the connections that we've made with people in agriculture. I, I mentioned in the first part of the show that I'd mentioned something about what local churches are doing. The individual who we were going to be buying grain from bought, uh, you know, had people coming to him all the time asking him, well, can you get us grain? 
you know, to eat, to grind, to make good bread with. And they said, well, yeah, but, you know, I can't get in small amounts. you got to get together in a group and see if you can put together a big enough order that I can warrant bringing a semi-truck load of grain up here, and then I'll see what I can do, because that's not really what his business is. And they ordered, I think, 20 or 30 tons of grain. They didn't do that on an individual. They did that by getting churches together and talking about these things and growing bread, uh, grain, making their own homemade bread, which is way better than the stuff they're going to get in the stores. And uh, now there are bills out there that's going to want to control that. But uh, uh, just like there was in Stalinist Russia, because, you know, people are trying to get their guns and their ammo and all this kind of stuff. Fine, if that's what you want to do. If that's what you're led to do, go do that. But when they got your food, they'll get your guns. <laughs> You'll give them up in order to have something to eat. And your neighbor will give you up in order to have something to eat. So the reality is that you need to have a broader perspective of what sustains life. Um, but anyway, they they ordered that, and uh, the first load was uh, he he brought in because he had enough. He brought in about 50 tons, and uh, it sold out just like that, just like hotcakes. Everybody came and started buying. Now, he's in a fairly populated area. Uh, but that was amazing that people are thinking this. And he's been around for a long time, and he says more people are thinking in these terms. It's better food. Grind your own. We used to get up every morning. I'd get up, start running that grain grinder, grinding the grain, rye or whatever it was that I was going to make pancakes. And my kids would all get up and push me out of the kitchen because, they didn't mind me grinding the grain, but they didn't want to have me mixing the pancakes because <laughs> I make them so they stick with you all day. <laughs> but the point is it was better food. It was healthier food. It, you know, grain should be ground the day you bake it, not because as soon as you grind it, the oils begin to be exposed and will start to become rancid. Uh, you can keep grain for, you know, a decade or more. I just planted beans that were 15-year-old seeds, maybe even older, and they're just up high as my corn already. Uh, so you can keep seed for a long time if you know what you're doing, uh, but uh, will not keep. So it's very, and the, the rancidity of that flour, the oils, is actually can become a carcinogen. But that's another story. The point is, is that you need to start, the, the changes on the sun, the changes in the weather, the changes in the agricultural practices and policies of governments and the export and imports of food are going to affect your life one way or another. You can be on either side of the equation that you choose. The side of the world, which is headed for destruction in their broad ways, or the side of the kingdom. If you're interested in what Christ was teaching, you need to come together in congregations. I don't care what church you go to, get to now. I don't care what your detailed doctrines and eschatology is. I'm interested in preaching Christ, not eschatology. Uh, it's very simple. Love thy neighbor as thyself, and love the Father, who is a giver of life, not a taker. Do, don't be a coveter of your neighbor's goods. Be a blessing on your neighbor. Uh, try to encourage your local communities to stock up. It's illegal to hoard, but right now it's not hoarding when they... They'll call it hoarding later, but best you start finding out who in your community you can trust. Think about coming to the retreat. If you're coming to the retreat, let us know so that we can let you take home some grain with you. We'll have people here experienced in producing grain and grinding grain and making bread, and we will share that with you as well as a great deal of campfire talks if you have skills. Uh, that you want to share with others, let us know. Coordinate this through the Living Network. Join the Living Network by going to hisholychurch.org and joining a local group. 
finding out who's active in that group, who is an active contact minister in that group. Volunteer yourself. Time is short. Uh, there's enough time, but just barely enough time. And so you need to start working on these things because, not because you're afraid of what's coming, but because you love the Father who is a giver of life and love Christ who came to serve others. If you are going to be like Christ, if Christ is going to live in you, you have to have the character of Christ. Christ did not come to be served, to be saved, but to save others. That's the spirit that must be written on your hearts and upon your minds. And those of you who are already on the Living Network, you know that we'll have a talk show uh, conference here today and you can ask more questions um, hopefully we'll have uh, our radio technology uh, uh, problems uh, better situated next uh, week uh, but it's very important that you start coming together in the name of Christ which means not Yahweh Yeshua Yahshua but in the character of Christ, who he really was. His name is not the spelling of it. It's the precept upon precept of his character that we need to have and manifest in the world, but not of the world. We need to be the government of God, that peculiar people. And we've got a lot of books that you can get available for free through the Living Network that will start to explain exactly what the early church was doing, exactly what Israel was doing, what the red really is, what uh, what uh, Paul was really saying in Romans 13. And uh, the more we get this message out, the more we bring people together, uh, the more we will be serving Christ in his kingdom and doing so by not being of the world. Now, Christ is speaking to many of us, and that's why you see these communities that are actually starting to act and think along the lines of independence. I mean, from uh, Catherine Fitz to uh, even Glenn Beck, they have pieces of the puzzle of the kingdom coming at you and speaking to you bearing witness to what is already in some of your hearts. Now, some of you, it's not in your heart. And the reason why is you will not receive Christ. You have not yet repented. But once you repent, then you will see a little bit more. And if you don't act on what he gives you, that talent, that, that treasure that he gives you, he won't give you more. You need to act upon what he gives you, make use of it. And then he will bless you with more. Until next week, may peace be upon your house. And God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.